Welcome to ISA's Arborviews podcast, a series bringing you conversations with researchers and tree care experts about current issues in arboriculture. I'm Philip Van Wassner, your host on this episode of Arborviews. I'm joined now by Andreas Detter. Andreas is first a, a good friend of mine, and I'm, I'm glad to have him here today to, to do this interview. And Andreas is from Germany, and he works at Brudian Park Tree Consult in, in Gauting. He earned an engineering degree in landscape design and teaches at the University of Applied Science in Weinstephan. Today we're going to talk about trees in challenge courses and adventure parks, sort of a new field that Andreas has been working in as of late. And so I uh, welcome you, Andreas, to my hometown of Toronto, and thank you for joining us today. And I'll start off with um, the topic that, uh, that we are looking at is these ropes courses and challenge courses. So, from, from your experience with them, what are some of the common accidents that occur due to tree defects or tree failures with these challenge courses? Or are there common accidents that occur? Actually, uh, I'm not aware of any accidents where tree, trees were involved during uh, the time when people were climbing in the ropes course. Um, the classic ropes course was erected on poles, but uh, they, the uh, kind of adventure courses that now are present in trees, they are, I think they're much more exciting for people. They get in contact with trees, they get to climb up in the canopy. And uh, we have a standard in Europe uh, that is quite rigid on involving arborists or consulting arborists in selecting the trees that are used in the support of those structures. Um, but of course, uh, when you're building a ropes course, you can not absolutely exclude that trees have defects. Uh, and sometimes also trees have to be used even though if some defects are present, uh, are present, and then the arborist has to decide whether this tree can still be used in the support structure or not. And the difficulty is uh, in assessing the loads that are generated from ropes courses on trees. Usually, in my experience, those loads are much lower than loads that are exerted by natural forces like the wind or the snow or anything. But especially when we talk about zip lines or large distance uh, elements, we can get some significant forces on trees. But so far, to my knowledge, in a, in a ropes course, we didn't have accidents during uh, the people, while the people were climbing. What we find is uh, failure of trees in ropes courses in strong winds when the, the rope course activity has been shut down because of high winds, and then we get failures of trees. There was one tragic accident in Germany that I'm aware of, but that was uh, uh, on a playground, so to say, where they erected a structure between two trees, and because they were worried about the stability of one of the trees, they topped it, so it died, and four years later, while people were on this kind of net structure, uh, the dead tree collapsed, and there was a big court case, and liability issues were clarified. It actually was negligence of one person who should have indicated that that tree needed to be inspected, that that tree should be inspected by an arborist. That person was not an arborist, and he failed to state that in his report, so he was sentenced. But that is about the only damage, the only accident that I'm aware of. So are there any patterns uh, of tree failure in the challenge courses that, that might arise from, as you mentioned, the forces that are generated or the hardware that's installed? What are the, some of the things that we're 
that we're worried about as when, when you're looking as a consultant to say safety issues with regards to these installations, what are some of the things that you might be looking for or that might cause failures uh, to occur? You mentioned two things. One thing is the, the, the loads that are exerted. They're different from actual loads. First of all, these are when, when somebody falls into the belay system and then there's a fall arrest, you get a peak load, you get a short, uh, quick, high load at points of the tree stem, of the tree structure, where the tree has never experienced forces before. So um, especially that applies to interactions with wind when we have uh, steel cables running from tree to tree in a forest. You can imagine as the trees sway uh, in, in natural winds or in storms, you're generating uh, stress concentrations at the attachment point and uh, these attachment points are not the points where usually the tree will experience stress. So in natural winds and storms we get failure specifically at the attachment point which for another reason is the point where you concentrate stresses and that's the attachment itself especially when you have girdling uh, um, um, when you have girdling attachment points you're wrapping uh, steel cables around the trunk or you are attaching a platform rigidly. The tree is a growing natural structure so the tree would want to grow and then the, uh, the growth is inhibited by this structure that we attach to the tree and then we generating weak points. So these two things interact and then you, you usually get the failure at the attachment points. Okay, so, so then you mentioned in, in at the start that sometimes we have to use trees with inherent quote-unquote defects uh, and we have to decide whether the tree can handle that but from what you just said it seems that the the actual defects that we find in trees aren't so much the problem it's the installation of things that we put in changing the dynamics of the trees that's maybe more problematic yeah the change in the dynamics is definitely a problem and uh, when we do normal tree inspections we would look for we'd expect failure to happen somewhere at the base, for example, uprooting or fracture at the basal cavity or something like this. And if we look at ropes courses, we would have to focus on the attachment point and see if there's a weakness in the attachment point. And the other thing that we uh, see is trees react to damages by adaptive growth. They would want to increase the diameter at a point of weakness. If we then put an attachment there and inhibit that growth, then we weaken the tree in an area where it actually would like to grow bigger and uh, strengthen itself. And if we stop this process, then this is uh, probably uh, the, mm, this will probably generate the, the weak points. Can you just give the listeners an example <coughs> of the type of attachment that might restrict the compensation growth of a tree? I think this is, uh, maybe we're talking a little about history now, because uh, in, at least in, in Europe there's a, growing, um, there's a growing interest by the ropes course people to develop structures or attachment points for the structures that can grow with the tree. But uh, in the past, people have just wrapped steel cables around the trunk five times. And this girdling really generated very, very big problems because the trees Actually, some of them died off and other ones couldn't grow there, so uh, these trees are really weak at that point. But also with the platforms, the attachment point for the platforms, this is, this is difficult to solve because you cannot generate a growing platform. 
So maintenance is actually the key, and this cost is sometimes not part of the of the economic background calculation that the ropes course people do, that they have to reinstall, that they have to change the installation, they have to move the platform, they have to make it bigger after three or four years. But that depends on the growth rates that you find. I've been seeing a, a ropes course where I said, well, that cannot be too old. It can be maybe two or three years old because nothing had happened with the trees. Everything was fine. The, the uh, steel cables were wrapped around the trunk with some planks underneath it, and you couldn't see any growth restriction. And then I talked to the person who owned it. He said, no, no, it's almost 10 years old. But the ropes course was at an, an altitude of 1,500 meters above ground, so the trees had very little growth. And especially if we choose tree species that have a strong growth, then the, the maintenance is really the key. Okay, so we touched on, 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 we're sort of leading into the next question, which is what, what should someone consider uh, in, the, in the planning phase? Because you mentioned that some of these things aren't thought of in the economic model when, when these, these uh, projects are being developed. So what should people be considering? when they're constructing or managing a, a, a challenge course using trees. Yeah, we talked about the individual tree already. So we prefer trees that have strong wood. So some species that are uh, especially uh, good for ropes courses are species like, like beech or oak and hardwood. And we want species that do not have very big growth rates, <coughs> uh, if possible. And the other thing is the bark. We need trees that are not really uh, susceptible for bark damages. So beech, for example, is a species where we have a lot of problems because the, the bark uh, is susceptible for damages. But I've seen uh, tree installations on ash trees, for example, where we had a strong inhibitor, uh, where the, the growth was strongly inhibited at the points where these planks were uh, attached to the tree. But underneath the bark, was everything was alive, so we removed them after four years, and then the tree could grow again in the same spot. So there were no bark damages, but in beech, I've seen bark damages quite frequently. But the other thing that we need to focus on is the, is the, the entity of trees, is the forest stand that we're using, and the soil. The soil is something that I think uh, is neglected frequently. And when you, when, you, when you think of a forest that is turned into a venue for, uh, for people, the visitors are standing there, are walking around there, they're watching, they're climbing up and down. Soil erosion, soil compaction is really a big problem and that does not uh, only um, refer to the in individual tree, which in a forest usually is replaceable, but if you're destroying the soil, you're destroying the um, the potential for growth for the for this part of the forest maybe for for t decades. Okay, so, um, you've mentioned a couple of uh, problems with some of the traditional attachments. What would you say are some of the most tree friendly systems that are being used to attach ropes and platforms? Because we're trying to move away from those damaging mm -hmm. uh, approaches. Basically, anything that can easily be removed and and changed in position. Anything that allows the, the owner to easily maintain and adjust the attachment points is what we are after. So I've seen uh, constructions with slings, heavy-duty slings, for example, but you need to also uh, change them after a couple of years. There are new systems where you are working with 
belts and, and uh, ratchet traps kind of structures that you can easily adjust and reinstall. And for platforms, I've seen constructions now where everything is already designed to be uh, readjusted. So it's easy to take the planks off, it's easy to adjust the position of the load-bearing uh, bars, and this kind of uh, yeah, this kind of way of thinking is what we need. Just it's simple. If the tree is growing, and if we construct uh, something that is able to uh, to adapt to the growing tree, this is going to help us provide uh, ropes courses in trees that have a, a long life term and do not damage trees in the long term. So, um, just wondering then, uh, is it? You mentioned in, in Germany that, that it is a requirement to have an arborist or a consulting arborist look at some of these things as an installation. From your experience, is that common everywhere in tree courses? Or is, you know, because I know from working with you in the past and, and knowing Germany quite well that they're fairly regulated in many things. Do you think that that's common or is this still a fairly new frontier, uh, working with trees in, in this way and working actually in consideration of the trees, I think it's a it's a growing thing because uh, in uh, in the past uh, I've started to work with ropes courses almost ten years ago, and in the past there was only uh, an association of ropes course owners and ropes course builders that had their standard and they recommended involving an arborist when installing tr uh, ropes courses in trees, but now there's a European stand technical standard. Uh, that's valid for all over Europe and there's a requirement to have an arborist report before uh, the first uh, uh, before this ropes course can go into action so to say so there has to be uh, an inspection a primary inspection before uh, the ropes course can open and this primary inspection requires an arborist report and this arborist report has to take into account also the loads exerted on the tree and whether the trees are able uh, to to yeah to uh, withstand those loads, and also uh, the the general agricultural practice uh, has to be considered dead wooded in the tree or any other defects or anything. So I think the acceptance for this is really big, and more and more consulting arborists are working with ropes courses. So it's really becoming a standard, a normal thing that an arborist is involved for the first time and then also in the course of uh, running that ropes course you have to have an annual inspection by an arborist. And what kind of qualifications would an arborist who could sign off per se at the front end or on an inspection, would that just be a climbing arborist, a day-to-day -day arborist or would that have to be a consulting arborist with more knowledge of let's say loads and, and those types of things? Currently, they are uh, updating this standard, and uh, in the in the next version, as far as I'm involved, as far as I know now, they are making a differentiation between this first inspection, which has to be done by a, a consulting arborist, an arboricultural expert, and that would be something that is not a climbing arborist, but more a consultant. And the annual inspections can be done by an arborist, and as far as I understand, uh, this term that would be a practical arborist as well. Okay, We just had an interview with Carl Nicholas and we were talking uh, about, about dynamics and static loads in trees. 
So what do you, how will these different types of loads, static and dynamic loads, um, from the challenge course that are generated, how can they affect the trees? I think this is, uh, this is a field where we still know very little about. Um, the static loads on trees that I've seen that have been generated by ropes courses are usually uh, in, a, in a magnitude that do not really damage trees. And very often ropes course uh, builders are aware of the limited strength of trees for static loads, uh, for example in a zip line. So when you are erecting a zip line on, on a tree with a length of something like 100 meters, the steel cable is already heavy enough to really bend the tree. So they will back it up with a, a guy wire, a guying cable to the other side and transferring the bending moment into axial compressive loads where the tree is really strong and this is not going to be a problem for trees at Can all. Can you just explain a little more in layman's terms what axial compressive loads yeah, are? Yeah, it's, it's basically forces that are working on a, on a mast in a tent, for example, where the mast is being under compression only. And wood is really strong along its axis in compression, so this is not going to make any tree fall. It's the bending moments, it's the lateral forces that can break trees, just like the wind will act from the sideways on side on the stem and bend it. And we need to have these guys guying cables to make uh, this structure stable. So the static loads, as far as I'm concerned, is not going to be a big problem. But the dynamic forces are something that we need to study, especially the interaction in a forest stand when you in when you install steel cables is something that we know very little about and I'm I'm worried that uh, we are changing how this tr uh, this uh, community of trees is going to behave in natural winds and this is where we probably have to uh, realize that building a ropes course involves risks for the stand for uh, its stability in storms and this is also what we see. But uh, as far as uh, my experience, uh, as far from my experience, I can say that in catastrophic wind, wind events, we just recently had a big thunderstorm hitting a ropes course, the trees fail. But with or without the ropes course, I think the result of this thunderstorm would have been a failure, failure of trees. So I could not really blame this on the ropes course. But I've also seen two failures specifically at the anchor point where these two were the only trees in the entire stand that failed. So I could, I'm quite sure that we can say that the installation changes the dynamic behavior of the tree and it induces stresses at the attachment point that the tree is not adapted to and this increases the risk of failure. So just to take the, take the interview back out to let's say the the more practical level, may, many of our listeners will be arborists, and some of them may be getting calls to do some of these inspections. What kind of advice might you give to, to arborists if they're called in to develop a risk management plan for trees that are being used as anchor points in some of these adventure parks? Um, if you're called in when the ropes course is already installed, I think we're back to uh, standard practice for tree risk management, tree inspection. We need to look for defects, for changes in the structure. And very often then it, is, it would be difficult to change something in the ropes course because this is a very high cost. But uh, you need to tell your client when you see 
uh, that the, the form of the tree stem is being changed by constricting structures or constricting attachment points. You need to uh, tell your client about trees that are higher in risk than other ones, so he has a chance to maybe change the course of this installation. And when you have a chance to be there from the beginning, the important is, thing is really choosing trees that are vigorous, that trees that have uh, a sound structure, and uh, tree species that are really able to, to tolerate the stresses that uh, occur from uh, the, the ROPS course installation, especially thick bark is very important. And, um, and also you can discuss maybe with the client the way this installation is planned because your uh, job as an arborist is to point out the, the future problems that may occur, the conflicts between the growing tree and the, the static structure that's attached there. And if you can then identify points that may be possible to change or maybe uh, where it may be possible to make arrangements for future maintenance, then I think you're doing a very good job to your client. One last question, because we, we have spoken about the risk and the attachment points, but you also made a really good point that rings true for me is in the sort of the realm of plant health care, that apart from the physical attachment and the forces generated, we're bringing a lot of people into the forest. So do you have any advice for, let's say, plant health care management in this environment? Not mm -hmm. in the trees, but in the environment of the trees. I've seen very good examples where uh, the Rob's course owners have tried to basically to channel the visitors to specific areas uh, and avoid that they go strolling all around the forest. So you have your path, that path is covered with maybe wood chips or something to, to yeah, distribute the compactive compaction a little bit or avoid soil compaction. And then the rest of, of the entire root zones of the trees is either fenced off or there's just, yeah, there's an uh, or under uh, a plant vegetation there in, in the understory. So it's not attractive for the visitors to go there just to keep them out. And then where you have frequently assembly of, of, of visitors standing and walking, make sure that you either have planks that they stand on to avoid soil compaction entirely or reduce the compression by the, by, by, yeah, by the walking people, by the people standing there. And especially on slopes, we have to also think about erosion as a big problem. Every visitor, as he walks, loosens a little bit of soil and uh, erosion can become a big problem because the forest soils are not really adapted to this kind of impact. And when you suddenly change the situation and suddenly bring people into the forest, erosion can become a big problem. Well, Andy, thank you very much. I think this is a realm that, that not many arborists have really realized could be their, uh, um, a, a future for them, and you've given us some really good things to think about today. So thank you very much for coming to the interview. Oh, thank us. you for that, Charles. Thank you very much.